This podcast is sponsored by King Manual Therapy, restoring function to body and voice. Before we get onto this week's podcast with Paul Taylor Mills, we want to tell you about Motivational Mornings. Motivational Mornings is a unique workshop day with industry professionals, which focuses on confidence, well-being and mental health during the audition process. In a relaxed environment, you will learn audition choreography and take an acting through song class whilst focusing on your mindset before, during and after the audition on the day. The day will finish with a life coaching session. You will learn how to free the mind and separate your insecurities from your abilities. That way, you can start to enjoy being in an audition room and truly show the team what you've got to offer. The next session is Wednesday 31st of July from 10am to 3pm and you can email prepyourrep at hotmail.com to book a space. I'm Scarlett Maltman. And today we are joined by one of the industry's most fabulous producers, Paul mm. Taylor Mills. Paul is the artistic director for the recently announced Turbine Theatre and also the advisory producer for Andrew Lloyd Webber. How are you today, Paul? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it feels weird to hear you announce me as the artistic director for the Turbine Theatre because it was literally yesterday. Yeah! yeah. So, um, Congratulations! I'm, thanks. I'm, uh, I had that peculiar mixture of excitement and fear uh, and everything on an hourly basis. Yeah. But it's, it's mega. It, it's huge really and it starts exciting. in a few weeks. Incredible, um, and you've got an amazing team like that. Drew oh, McCorney, yeah, and it's. I've been so lucky that over the years I've had uh, some incredible people in my life, and I've worked with some incredible people at incredible buildings around the country. And I think hopefully for me, the turbine is going to be a celebration of all of those different things, and I can be a bit like a magpie and take all of the best yeah. bits and form a, a venue and a space and an environment which um, celebrates yeah, those parts. Amazing. Absolutely. We talk about it more in depth later, Ooh. but very, yeah, it's very exciting. I think it's needed in this industry as well. Thank you. It's a great sure. space as well. Like, yeah. And you got everyone there by boat. I got everyone there by boat because so um, extra. I love it. Well, it, it's it's so extra and it's so me to do that. Um, the reason I did that um, is because it's at the new development at Battersea Power Station, okay. uh, and from a public transport point of view. Uh, it's a good 10 minute walk from Vauxhall, mm-hmm. Sloan Square, Battersea Park. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you get on the riverboat, it's like an 11 minute ride yeah. from Embankment. And it's so bougie and so much yeah. fun. You can see like London Eye on your left oh, and the Houses of Parliament on your right. Experience. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't want to get on a boat? We like, just don't yeah. have the culture, do we, of getting no. on a boat? Yeah, uh, they do it a lot in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, you don't have traffic on a boat. So it's yeah. so quick and it's so okay, efficient. Yeah. So I thought it was just really important to put the great and the good of the industry on the boat so yeah. they could see how easy and super it was. It's and it's so much fun. Of course. Yeah. I love it. You look so proud. Have you been away? I was in New York. I was in New York trying to get the Turbine Theatre Programme ready. Uh, and I got back on Thursday. So I'm jet-lagged still, uh, because I'm old now, so it takes quite a long time to get over the the jet lag. Thank you so much for squeezing us in. My pleasure. We always start with a word association game. Oh, gosh. Are you ready? I'm ready. First thing. So, theatre. Fun. West End Live. Madness. Decisions. Indecisive. Chocolate milkshakes. All over it. New writing. That's more than one word. (laughs) Very me. Creativity. Sparky. Passion. Everyone has to have passion. 
presenting my new life Ooh, edinburgh french i'm there can't wait climate change it's a big deal and we have to think about it pride i'm very proud well, hey amazing it's quite a lot of pressure isn't I'm it sorry, yeah it's that was that was quite an epic one as well like and it's like you kind of you can't really think about it you, you're trying to say something intelligent yeah, but it's quite hard on the spot right at the yeah. end as well okay I can't, I can't do it we did it on our um series two recap yeah. because i was asking me questions and i was like i sometimes do it to people my questions are much more filthy we've done scott allen he was quite he was Scott's Love great. Scott. <laughs> um, so tell us what got you started in the creative arts? Um, I started life as an actor. Um, I went to basketball university. I adored it. I had the best time. But I was always the annoying shit in the room that had too much to say for himself. <laughs> and uh, I guess in a way that I would be in a rehearsal process or creative process and I would see opportunities that would go unnoticed. And then I found it very difficult to be that person to not say anything. So I had put up my hand and be like, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And after time, it became very clear that I think to be an actor or a performer, you have to have a certain skill set and sometimes just be able to do mm-hmm. and ask questions where appropriate and uh, shut up when it's appropriate. <laughs> and I found uh, the second part of that really, really hard. I found it hard to um, do something that didn't feel authentic and I think, uh, to a certain degree, actors have to do that sometimes. They have to trust the process of the director and go along with it, even if it's something they don't agree with. And I found that really hard, really, really hard. I was also a terrible dancer, and <laughs> whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to make sure I was the best at it. Yeah. So by accident, started directing because the course leader took me aside and said, I think you're a director. And then in my head, just the notion of being able to tell my kind of peers what to do was really exciting yeah. <laughs> and I was really lucky because I was in a university institution that I got um, small budgets to go and put on shows so I put on West Side Story and Godspell and directed them as well and graduated and was really lucky Hannah Chiswick who's the director that I work with now is my guardian angel and I kind of went under her wing and assisted her on loads Um, But as a young director, what you end up doing is producing it yourself because you just want to get yourself out there. Uh, And it's a very different climate now uh, to what it was 12 years ago. I'm revealing my age. Um, And you could just put on a show with a credit card, which I would never advise anyone does. But you could just go and get some costumes from Primark and rent the union and do it. And now you can't, but I kind of was just doing it and putting on shows in the hope that... I would learn, uh, I would learn about myself, about what my taste was. And then I slowly started to realise actually where I really got excited was not being in the rehearsal room creating a world, it was actually marketing the show and casting the show and working out who the people at the party should be when you were putting a creative team together. And that's where I got really excited. So started doing that more and then I uh, did The Beautiful Game, I did um, In the Heights and I did Carrie with Bill Kenwright who's um, a massive part of my life now and a, a partner who I work with a lot and then some of those shows just got went on to have great lives and the rest is history. Yeah, it's incredible like Amazing. like what you've produced like oh thank you it's just incredible and it's like da 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 it's like back to back it's... yeah it never feels like that when you're in it but I I get bored quite easily and so I think 
unless I've got something to focus my attentions on or something that scares me, I find it difficult to get out of bed because I'm lazy. <laughs> so I have to I have to have something that frightens me or something that is going to require a different part of my brain to work. And yeah. that's why in terms of my... I, I definitely have a taste in terms mm. of the shows that I want to make. But uh, something like Ain't Misbehaving, which I did really recently, yeah. was very different to Heather's, for instance, which is what I did last year. Yeah. And Ain't Misbehaving was, you know, it's an older show... And I had to try and work out how I made made eight misbehaving current for a contemporary audience, and that was a, a new challenge for me. Yeah, was there ever like a turning point, like because everyone knows you? Mm. Um, was there ever a turning point, and you thought, "Oh gosh, this this is it now. I've, I've made my mark in the industry." Yeah, I I don't. It's hard because you um, there's definitely a sense where you it's very difficult. This sounds terribly arrogant it's not meant to come across an arrogant way there's definitely a point where you go oh god it's really difficult going to the theatre now because you end up spending 90% of the night in small talk and I'm terrible at small talk (laughs) Um, but it was the moment where in terms of a career point of view it it was really the Olivier's um, and we were the underdog this was with In the Heights and I remember the night so vividly and I'm not just saying this to uh, appear humble but we genuinely weren't expecting it if I'm honest, at that point in my life, I was 26 and I was just really excited to go to the Olivier's and put on a posh suit. And, <laughs> you know, and it, we had done this show in, at Southwark Playhouse, yeah. you know. Yeah. The show was really humble. We were rehearsing in a church in Mile End. Everyone was being paid 50 quid a week for rehearsals, uh, which you could do then, you know. And no one was making any money. No one was making any money, you know. I think In the Heights at Southwark lost money, you know, mm. and and it sold out. Yeah. <laughs> so do the maths, you know. Yeah. And um, so we really, really weren't expecting that that little show that we made on a dime was going to go on to have the extraordinary life that it did. And it was really the night after the Olivier's that, you know, I, I met Andrew Lloyd Webber, who I went on to work with and continue to work with. Uh, and it was that point where the day after I was at Andrew's house having lunch talking about theatre I know (laughs) talking about theatre and what we both thought about theatre that I thought oh shit this is this is it and it's weird because as someone growing up you always um you dream of uh what it might be like or what it what it could be like and then when you get to it it just feels like work and I had a bit of a scary conversation last week in New York that made me feel a little bit both relieved and a bit sad because I was talking to a friend who's a producer out there and they said well what's your dream and I said well this sounds really really weird but I've done it and I I, I don't know how that makes me feel saying that because I'm half sad because your dream is to win awards and work with incredible people and do good shows and now I think my ambitions are completely different my ambitions now are to work with people that I enjoy working with Mm -hmm. in the hope that I have a lovely life and that we make great shows, you know? And they're like, well, do you not want to do Broadway or do you not want to do films? I said, no. (laughs) Like, I don't. I've kind of done that part of me. And they're like, you're not sad that you don't have a dream? And I said, I do have dreams now, but my dreams now are, from a kind of theatre point of view and making shows point of view, I've worked on incredible shows with incredible people, so my ambitions now are more about this is a bit deep for a Tuesday afternoon, but hitting the kind of equilibrium in life so to make sure your relationship with your family and your friends Absolutely. and partners, not 
partners plural partner um, <laughs> but that they are positive and yeah. meaningful and that that's I think where the slight shift that I've had because yeah. I've done all those wonderful things that I wanted to in my career I've run incredible buildings with incredible people I continue to do that so now it's about trying to find that balance isn't it yeah absolutely and thinking about the thousands of people that you've inspired along oh, the way yeah. like that's that actually means a lot. That's actually yeah. the hugest thing to me. If, if people talk about, like, what are you most proud of? Uh, and again, I say this with uh, in the most humble way possible. It, it means a huge amount to me that my story and that, you know, I was from a very humble beginning. I had a single mom uh, on a council estate in Birmingham. We didn't have access to cash. I didn't have access to rich people. I remember my first raise for a West End show was the single most terrifying thing in the world. Um, but the fact that people can see that if you keep your head down and work and get out there and be nice to people, which yes. sometimes people forget, um, that hopefully uh, things will happen for a reason. And my mum always says, you know, the cream rises to the top. And the fact that hopefully my journey can inspire people that if you do just work hard, then nice things can happen. Yeah, but it doesn't stop, does yeah, it? Yeah. We have to keep being nice and keep working hard yeah, and yeah. absolutely absolutely so what have your experiences been with mental health thus far this can be personal this can be your family your friends just how aware of it have you been yeah um my experiences of mental health um from from a personal point of view i guess i've been very lucky because i've got a um i've got a good network of people around me um I talk a lot, as you can already hear, uh, and therefore um, my problems, I'm normally quite open about my problems, uh, and they're not necessarily problems with uh, things associated or involving mental health, it's just the normal stresses of producing and making art. Um, I have had situations in the past where I've worked with actors, uh, stage management, or musicians where you have suspected that there are problems with mental health um it's always tricky i think because you don't know how uh i think the stigma is slowly going uh but you don't know how to approach it sometimes you're scared of approaching it um because you don't want to offend anybody um and it's more the way that i've realized that there are problems is more someone's behavior has sometimes been um antagonistic or aggressive and it's been quite hard because your instinct in those situations and this is me being incredibly honest but your instinct when that happens producing and making shows is a high stress situation uh, that's quick that doesn't necessarily foster an environment where people can talk Mm -hmm. and your instinct as someone that's the captain of the ship is to um, respond in a way that Uh, isn't very thoughtful because you are trying to make a show and that's the priority and I've had to remind myself constantly that you have to take the beat and try and be sensitive to someone's situation because I really believe you don't ever really know what someone is going through you see someone in a rehearsal situation which is an artificial situation you meet someone in a audition situation which is an artificial situation they then go on to perform in an artificial situation so it's none of it's very real and so my experiences have mainly predominantly been with performers um, but I think we can do a lot more uh, in terms of making sure that people feel they can talk about it and the theatre industry shouldn't really be any different to um, 
any other business really where there are resources and the possibilities for people to be able to share their experience and talk. It's hard though, it's hard because as I said, most of the time there isn't enough time, most of the time there isn't enough money Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't always bring out the best in people and if you are suffering with a mental illness or physical illness they're not always um, compatible or working in tandem. So it is something I think we can do more yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say, just just on that note, um, we're saying there's not enough time, there's not enough money. What are the challenges of being a producer that mm. could have a detrimental effect to someone's mental health? Um, I think that as a producer, you the possible things that could be problematic from a producer's point of view um, are you you're kind of a bit of a helicopter in terms of you are hovering over every different department, every situation, which means that sometimes your sensitivity to situations isn't as sensitive as it can be because what you're not considering sometimes, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this, not uh, consciously, but the individual, you are considering the bigger picture all of the time because that is your job to consider the bigger picture And sometimes the other problem, and I think this is sometimes where producers get a bad time, is that people sometimes think they're heartless and they don't have emotions. And actually most producers I've met are some of the most passionate, emotional people in the world because they are fighters too, you know, they want this to happen. And an actor coming on a job or a creative coming on a job, they've been on it for a few weeks or a few months. The producer's probably been on it for years and they've really had to fight for this to happen. And so I think some of the problems from a producer's point of view is that they don't always have the capacity to get involved on a personal, emotional level because they're too busy trying to... And this isn't a justification, it's just more of a uh, an example of how it happens and why it happens. They're too busy looking at the overarching situation to notice what's going on from a kind of personal point of view. And there's normally a bigger problem. Now, that's not me saying that uh, someone's mental health and someone's individual situation isn't a big problem, because of course it is, but they're probably dealing with something which which is a bit more visible and is a bit more um, in front of them. And, you know, their end goal is the show. It's not necessarily how is that person feeling and what is that person feeling. Now, I'm not saying that's right, I'm saying that seems to be what happens in most cases. Do you think there's something we can put in place as an industry to support our creatives more, like our producers or casting teams, that Mm. whole network of creatives? Because I feel like there's a big support currently for actors, but less so for creatives. Yeah. Do you know what I think it is? I think half the time it's about... um, We don't really understand the process from each other's point of view. So sometimes whenever I have problems with uh, an actor or a creative or if people have problems with me, it's that they don't uh, necessarily understand the experience or the process from my point of view or vice versa. I don't understand it from their point of view. Now, I'm at a bit of an advantage because, as I've said, I, I have directed, I have been an actor and I understand what that's like. And that's helped me over the years, hopefully. I mean, you should probably speak to some actors that work with me, not me, but I hopefully what that means is that when we encounter a problem, I am able to take a beat and to try my best to understand it from their point of view. 
But I think there's two strands to uh, your question. I think strand A is that we we do uh, be more transparent about what it is like from our point of view in terms of what we are dealing with. Because sometimes I don't think that the people understand that the producer has had to raise the money for that. Yeah. The producer mm-hmm. is dealing with every single department. Uh, and, you know, we are British, so we like to think that whatever we are doing is the most important <laughs> thing. Um, so, but Just Yeah, but, this, <laughs> but the same from my point of view, you know, putting myself in the firing line from... Sometimes I don't understand an actor's process. And as far as I'm concerned, you turn up, you do the job and you get on with it. And that's me being very um, cynical about it. I'm sure it's much, much more complicated and I'm underestimating the preparation, the time that the actor has uh, put in to just be in the room and be there. Um, And then on the other side of the coin, I think we can actually have a resource and have someone or something that they can speak to that's confidential, that perhaps isn't involved in the process. Because as I've already said, like the creative process is a precarious one. You are vulnerable uh, because that's what you need to be as actors and creatives because you are putting your taste and your talent on the line. Uh, and maybe it's not appropriate to talk to someone that's in that process with you. So having a resource that's outside of that, and I'm sure there are some that are out there, but I think that would be really useful. Yeah. And you know, we're in an industry which is hugely competitive. That plays with your mind. I'm under no doubt from both a performer's point of view, from a creator's point of view, and even a producer's point of view. You know, I'm really lucky that now I'm in a position that I kind of do what I want to do, but it hasn't always been like that, you know. And certainly for actors, the lack of control that they have of their career and lives, schedules, cannot be easy. It cannot, you know... I'm a control freak, which is why I had to be a producer, because I want to know that I can just go to New York if I want to go to New York, but not having control over your own timetable and schedule after a certain period of time can't be good, you know? And so I think we have to consider all of these different cogs that go into just getting into the room, you know, before you even start rehearsals, if you're lucky enough to be in a job. I digress, sorry. No, it was great. It was great. So not only are you a producer, but you present and most recently have been announced as the founder and artistic director of the Turbine Theatre, which is a brand spanking new theatre space next to the Battersea Power Station. Firstly, I know we briefly mentioned at the start, chat to us about this brand new place and your kind of visions and why you created it and found it. Well, um, I was approached last July to... um, take over the the space at Battersea and I have had the honour of running buildings before and it's hard (laughs) it's really hard and um, I had the best time running the other palace but I wanted to I wanted to have the opportunity to do something that felt authentically me and what I mean by that was to run a building that I thought reflected my taste reflected the people I want to work with Uh, And I said no to begin with because I was scared, again, because, you know, um, it's full on and it's stressful um, and I like my little life and I want to bring out the best in me. Uh, But they were very persistent and I went to see the theatre and fell in love with the theatre and it's got its own personality because it's been, it was built by non-theatre people. 
So as such, there are so many toilets there and each one has a Dyson hand dryer in. I keep talking about the Dyson. I've never spoke so much about Dyson hand dryers in my life. But um, it's it's a really, really incredible space. It's intimate, it's tiny. Um, But my plan for it is to create a space um, that audiences want to go to, that actors want to work at because it's a nice environment. And we had the press launch yesterday and I said, you know, we can't underestimate the importance of a theatre that just feels nice to yeah. be and like it feels like you're going somewhere that it almost feels like a family. And uh, very, very few people in theatre are earning megabucks. Yeah. Um, therefore, if you're not enjoying it, then why the bloody hell are you doing it, you know? And I think that's really, really important because... As I said, contrary to popular belief, it's there's a few people at the top of the industry that are, you know, going on lovely holidays. But you know, ninety eight percent of us, and I include myself, are working. It's it's a job, and it's hard, and are still having to think at the end of the month. Oh God, how are we going to do this? And therefore, it's really important that people have a good time. Um, and I want to create that kind of space. Um, the programming is really straightforward. There's three strands to it. We will do the generation of new work which basically means that I'll do MT Fest there again so whether that be via workshops or scratch nights we will host those with a view that hopefully some of those things will come out of the festivals and scratch nights and go into the second strand of programming which is world premieres so of, of titles that come out of those works and then the final strand is um revivals or classics with interesting people and done in a different way for a contemporary audience which we might have to do more of at the beginning of the the life of the turbine because we need to get people there and they need to see the space and understand what we do uh, which is why we're opening with Torch Song which is being directed by Drew McConey and we're doing it A because it's a bloody brilliant play uh, B because I love Harvey Firestein and then C it's a it's a way of kind of connecting an older title to a modern audience and saying, yeah. shit, isn't this really still relevant? And I'm delighted to be joined by Drew, who is just, in my humble opinion, one of the best storytellers we have. Mm. Um, and it's something very different to him. You know, he's just got back from Broadway and doing King Kong, which is a £50 million budget show. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's coming to Battersea. And yeah. he, for Drew, the, the first question is, is this a story that I feel like I can tell? And is it an important story? And I'm so glad that he agreed with me that it was an important story and that he's going to open the theatre for me. Again, he opened the other palace for me with the Wild Party. Yeah. So exciting. I think on the terms of mental health as well, like, the whole industry is buzzing about this. Like, they're Mm -hmm. excited about, like, a new space, new theatre. And um, I know you mentioned about the MT Festival, like, fresh new musical. It's it's just opportunity. And I think it's Mm -hmm. it's honestly absolutely incredible that... We have to support each other, you know. And I, I don't say that lightly. I think this is a big, big thing. Because I've already spoke about the industry being competitive from everybody's angle, we just forget sometimes that the the support of each other is sometimes the most important thing and if I can help by just you know lifting someone up onto the ladder or giving someone space or just you know we're all very busy but just having a coffee with someone then I always will because like I said earlier I I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for the um, support that I've had from incredible people and I don't think we can neglect to realise the power of supporting each other and just reminding people 
of that support and Absolutely. you know it's nice to reach out to people and each other mm-hmm. uh, not just when you want something yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know it's quite depressing sometimes when I look at my phone and my Twitter messages or my emails or my Facebook messages or my Instagram is is always someone saying hi can I can I have this and then you scroll through the messages and every single one is a request and so what I have had to teach myself is to not be guilty of that mm-hmm. to sometimes just reach out and congratulate someone or do something that isn't always a want it's actually just an observation and it's saying listen I saw you did this well done or how are you yeah (laughs) you know as opposed to hi Paul I hope you're well (laughs) now listen can I I just want to see can we have this or you know and it it's hard because I'd love to fill my days with coffees and giving uh you know new people an opportunity and stuff but you it's got to be a reciprocal thing, hasn't it? And you want to be able to know that um, you're doing something for someone other than servicing their career. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And now, a word from our sponsor, King Manual Therapy. Hi, everyone. It's Stephen King from King Manual Therapy in Covent Garden. I'm going to be talking to you about the benefits of vocal massage. So the benefits to vocal massage are, number one... It keeps your voice free and healthy. Number two, it keeps your mental health good in relation to your vocal production. Number three, it makes your voice more reliable more of the time. This particularly matters for auditions, for shows, for anything you've got coming up, including public speaking. So can you chat to us about having three fantastic creative fields. Uh, You are a producer, a presenter and an artistic director. Uh, Now you put up a post stating, I used to worry about whether it would detract from my producing work after the bestest of lunches uh, in New York with Rachel. I realised that there's actually no real reason why we have to box ourselves. If they are paying our bills, then I'm breaking the rules. Hmm. So we love this. It's Uh, weird when you hear it back, yeah. It was incredible. So it's, this is really inspiring and something that we, we've spoken about, uh, myself and Scarlett, before, um, and it's really reassuring to hear. Do you think, or why do you think, that there is a stigma attached to being in more than one creative field? I mean, if Phoebe Waller-Bridge can do it, yeah. so can the yeah. rest of us, right? But it feels like you can only do it when you get to the top. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased I'm not saying I'm at the top, so uh, that's not what I meant at all. But it feels like you can do it if you're Rebel Wilson, or you can do yeah. it if you're... But, I got really frightened because when I was at the other palace, I would do these uh, talks live at the other palace and we did one with Andrew, Lloyd Webber and Lin-Manuel Miranda and by accident I found myself presenting Um, and I would finish and then I would go backstage and everyone would go like, you're bloody brilliant at this. You're such a good talker. And I, oh I could talk for then And then you go, oh, thank you, thank you. And then, uh, you know, people that you have a huge amount of respect for, such as Lynn and Andrew telling you that you're very good at it, is a really nice feeling. And over the years, I've been approached by agents and certain uh, television things. And I've always said no, because um, I was always really worried, A, about say, saying something stupid, uh, because as you can tell, I can just talk. Yeah. Um, and you do get worried, because as a producer, there's a certain stereotype of... Mm what they need to be like, what kind of person. And I do think to a certain extent, you know, I have to regain some sort of decorum and respect because I've got to lead a team. And, you know, if I'm out on a Saturday night posting pictures all the time of me with a double body in, in, the, in the gutter, 
then that is problematic. It's going to be very difficult for me to go into rehearsals on a Monday morning and demand everyone's respect. Now I do do that, but um, but I um I did get worried that maybe I think in this country we um we do like to box people. Um, and I don't say that generally. I've seen it and. It was being in New York, uh, Richie Jackson, who is, um, he just did the Broadway revival of uh, Torch Song. And Richie is a partner of Jordan Roth. And Jordan Roth is, um, I think he's the president of one of the biggest theatre owner companies in New York. And Jordan fascinates me because he kind of is everything. He's kind of this model, guru, fashionista mm-hmm. person, but he's also a hugely respected theatre owner, producer in his own right. Uh, Richie, who's Jordan's partner, and I were talking about it. And Richie himself is a television producer. He is a theatre producer. But he started talking about a book that he was writing for his gay son. And I can't remember the name of the book. uh, But the book is basically a kind of gift to his son to talk about some of the things that he wished he knew when he was 16 years old and he was coming out. And just talking about how the world has shifted. And I just thought to myself, isn't this incredible? So I was like, you're a producer and you write books? And he was like, yeah. And he told me this term called, and I need to get this right because it would be really embarrassing if I did, called hyper-alternative. And it basically means that you can do lots of different things. And in quite a lot of situations, the cross-pollination of doing lots of different things is actually really useful. And I don't know, it just struck a chord with me. And I told him about being approached by agents to present and having various television opportunities that have come my way over the years and me just saying no because I was so worried about people getting judgmental and saying, well, what is he? Does he do this? Does he do that? And actually, I just got to a point where I was like, if people want to pay me to present and they think I'm okay at it, then who am I actually worried about? Who am I scared about? And in most situations where I have shade from someone, A, I hear from it via someone else, um, and I constantly question myself, well, why are you telling me? Because I don't need to know. But B, the shade normally comes from someone, uh, in 99% of cases, that has no idea what it is to be you, to do your job. uh, And therefore, it doesn't mean anything to me. And why am I worried about it? And am I happy? Am I living my best life? Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? And yeah, you have to. And if the moment we start to really get worried about what other people are thinking is the moment we have to be really scared because it actually doesn't matter. It's of no, uh, Billy Porter said something yesterday, which again really struck a chord. It's of no consequence to me what someone else thinks. No one has been in my shoes. No one has understand the journey that I've been on. And therefore, am I happy? Yeah. And that's the most important thing. And we have to inspire people and support people and celebrate people Mm -hmm. doing what they want to do because life's hard enough. And if we don't do that and we get bogged down by, excuse my French, but just the bullshit of people just being a bit sassy, it's Mm -hmm. really not worth it. And if someone comes to me now and say, I do this and I do that, I'm like, great. And as actors, I say this to every actor, you have to have something else. Yeah. You know, it's really important, A, for your for your mental health, yeah. I think, and B, um, because you're not always going to be working. That's exactly. the reality of it. And so, yeah, that's a kind of long-winded way of saying I'm now represented. Um, 
do get in touch if you've got any gigs. <laughs> uh, but um, and I'm really enjoying it. That's I'm really amazing. enjoying it. And it's a completely different uh, thing for me, and um, it's something that I seem to be good at. So yeah. for as long may it continue, you know. Ooh, absolutely. That's so good to hear. That's really nice to hear. You just spoke about um, inspiring, um, and quite recently you've decided to produce hashtag Honest Amy, yes. starring Amy Booth Steele, who we all know and love um, from all our UK <laughs> songs. Um, so many of her songs actually openly discuss mental health. Yeah. Do you think storytelling can be a great way to educate and open up the conversation of mental health? Oh, absolutely. And this kind of happened by mistake. I just... I love that girl. Like, I just love her. She's insane. And we've done workshops and stuff together, but she took over from uh, the teacher role in Heather's towards Mm. the end of the run. And I I started to see these clips that appeared on social media. And because I'm such a typical producer, called her and I was like, Aim, how are these getting so much traction? Are you paying for this? And organically, they got millions of views. Um... And it's because they're good. Yeah. They are really witty. They are really smart. And she she is just the kindest, most, oh, excuse the pun, but honest. And this yeah. is why we call it... She's got a warmth. She's got a warmth. And so we're going to Edinburgh. We're not going to make a penny. Um, but to go see but, it. Uh, well, it's selling <laughs> so well. And I think this might be the first time that I actually have a show in Edinburgh that's sold out before I get there. Oh, I know. Nice. And she she's just the kindest human being. So for me... It's a passion thing that I just love her and I want to support her and do what I can. But I think using uh, comedy, Mm -hmm. uh, because we all have a sense of humour, and using music and song in a way to discuss mental health. And uh, and this is her story. Uh, She had uh, an illness a few years ago and her mum bought her a ukulele to help her overcome it. And it discusses, you know, she had a breakdown in Tesco where she thought life was over. And it discuss, you know, terrible dates and in a really honest way, you know, we've all been there, you know. And so she just does it with such humility and such integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, So I absolutely do think that it's a way of exploring it more. So um, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you were the producer of the critically acclaimed Heathers, which started at the other palace before transferring to the West End. Which was amazing. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Now, obviously, this show has a huge cult following, yeah. which is um, amazing, but also I can imagine be quite overwhelming for cast and creatives alike. Um, in situations like this, what can the producer do to ensure that um, casting creatives and, and yourself mm. um, and their mental health is looked after, especially for those who perhaps maybe haven't had the social media following before? Yeah. Can you chat about that a little bit? Yeah, it's really it's a really hard question. Um, I have quite openly a love-hate relationship with social media. Um, I try and keep my social media sarcastic, um, silly, fun. Uh, it is a business tool, and I notice that if I talk about a show, it helps the box office. You know, that's the reality of where we are with social media now, and it's power mm-hmm. in 2019. Heather's is very interesting because, A, it's community, it's fan base is an online one around the world. Um, we had the exceptional Carrie Hope Fletcher playing our lead who brings uh, with her an audience uh, of uh, people that are very dedicated to her and her work so therefore the synergy between Carrie and that title was magic you know Um, and I had I'm used to being in a very public 
position. So I, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, have had the pleasure, displeasure of being on the firing line. And I know how to deal with that, which is to just delete it and move on. And as I've said before, you know, 95% of things are very positive. Um, There's going to be 5% of things that aren't positive. Um, And as I said, I'm quite lucky that the way I see those situations, is it helpful to me and my job and my work and my craft? Yes, if it is, then maybe I do acknowledge it and maybe I um, do something about it. Very, 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 very rarely is someone going to get me to acknowledge anything via 140 characters on Twitter because tone of voice isn't clear. Um, It's not an appropriate medium. If you really, really want change, I don't think Twitter is the appropriate medium to get change. Um, It's uh, antagonistic. As I said, because it's such a brief edit, you don't get a sense of what that person really means. If you want uh, someone to take something seriously, pick up the phone, send an email, and people will probably want to talk and they'll want to hear what you want to say. Um, it is hard. It was hard on Heather's because of the fan base were loyal and they were really the show, the thing that moved the show to the West End. You know, it was helpful having Bill attached and myself, but it was really the uh, loyalty and the power of that fan base which propelled it to the West End even before we'd finished our uh, other Palace run. So we're very grateful to them, but they were also very vocal. Um, And um, there were situations, Carrie and uh, people discussing things like body weight and people discussing the way we cast certain roles. And it's just deeply inappropriate. And And I very, very, very rarely lose my shit because... I'm in a position of responsibility and it doesn't look good if the person in responsibility loses their shit. But when it came to, specifically to Carrie at the beginning of the process, um, as an employer, uh, I feel like I have a duty of care. And I knew me saying anything publicly would be very unpopular to the powers that be or the people that I work for because it's just not what you do. I kind of didn't care (laughs) and it's something that I feel really passionate about and I still to this day have no regrets saying something and so I very publicly said actually don't do that stop being a dick that's not how we speak to people and I won't have it so stop and I maintain now you know a year and a half later that it was the right thing to do so when people did go for her and me I called them out on it and I've never had it since and I you know I know it was a it was an uncharacteristic thing it isn't what you would expect a producer to do do I regret it absolutely not I know and it's not that I want to start a war and it's not that I want to start a fight it's that I want people to know when you get behind that keyboard Mm. there is no difference to when you are in a room with somebody and um, people feel like they have a degree of anonymity. Anonymity? Have I said that right? Anonymity. Yeah, none of us can say it, but no, I think yeah. everyone knows what I mean. <laughs> um, it's been a long week. Um, but um, mm. you, you aren't invisible. You do. There are repercussions to what you say. And in an age where we are thankfully starting to, to discuss mental health and the importance of mental health, um, why would you do that? Yeah. Why was as a, just a human being? on a basic human level, why would you do anything that is going to affect someone else's mental health? Uh, 
And as I said, the, the way the human brain works is 95% of it will be brilliant and positive and everyone's excited. But unfortunately, remember the 5%. And I had to get myself to a point where I just go, let it go. Because yeah. it's so not important. And every single one of those people that have said anything slightly shady has never produced a show, has never been in a creative process, um, doesn't know what it's like to go out there and fight for a show. They're all sat there at home wanting to get traction. And and in the wise words of my mother, who's never worked in theatre, interestingly, (laughs) but it's like, if you've got a rash, you don't itch it. Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I broke the rules once when it involved Carrie at the start of the casting process. But as I said... Um, it needed to be said yes, and then absolutely. I left it and I moved on um, but I think there should be stuff in place to support actors on um, how to manage social media yeah. how to manage uh, situations where they get into a dialogue with audiences and I just think don't do it mm-hmm. if as much as possible you know it's nice to be uh, supported mm-hmm. but you don't have to get involved in conversations with them you do your job and yeah. some people might say well part of my job is engaging with them it's not. Let it be from the show's account or the show's point of view. Mm-hmm. And on Heather's, we try to as much as we can to manage um, that. But then there's also a very grey area between, okay, well, whose social media is it? Is it the, yeah. the individuals? Is it shows? Mm-hmm. You do have a duty of care when you are working for someone to be a certain way on yeah. social media. You know, it goes back to what I was saying that I love a drink. I love going out with the boys and I love... I love partying, but I no one wants to see that, you know, and it's it's about just making sure anything on your social media, would you be happy for your mum to see it? Yeah. Actually, uh, my mum's very open. She reminds me. On the topic of social media, um, bit of a random one, but I think it's very important. Um, the first sentence in your title bio states, just be nice. Mm. How do you think we can be, I know we've, briefly kind of chatted about it, but how do you think we can be nicer and more supportive of everyone in this industry yeah. um, not on social media but yeah. in person what can I we think, do? I think just everything you do, just thinking is this helpful to that person I think general things that we can do on a daily basis, is what I said earlier which was not always speaking to somebody because you want something. Yeah. Ask someone how you are. But then when you ask them, generally want to listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we underestimate the power of just listening to someone. And, you know, I've got best friends that will just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> a bit like me. But actually, they just need to talk. Yeah. And I find most of the time, like with one of my really close friends who I talk to about life and work, sometimes she won't say anything. I'll just talk. And then without realising, I've come up with a solution to what I wanted to ask myself because I've just spoken it through with someone. And I think that's such a simple thing that we can all do. Go for coffees with friends and ask them, you know, how they are. And as opposed to it just being about a work thing, go on holidays. Um, A huge amount. You know, it's so important and and, and relax. And via social media, it's like, do you need to say that? Do you really need to say that? And who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for yourself because you want to get a bit of traction or a bit of a bit more following? And, you know, there are those trolls out there, as I said, that are just doing that because that's what they want. Just block them and move on. Yeah. And that's a way, and I do it all the time. Block them, unfollow, move on. If I'm following the cretin in the first place. Yeah. Um, but that's, it's a really simple thing. Just don't let it get in. And I feel, and 
I feel very lucky that I have the ability to do that. And if you take one thing away from this podcast, then you just should think to yourself, you do have the power to do that. Like if it's not important, get it out in the same way that you wouldn't have a friend in your life that brings you down. Like your social media and your outlook and that the thing that you look at in the morning on Twitter, that's your life. You have absolute control over it. Get it out. If it's not helping and it's not helpful to what you want to do, move out. You're so inspiring. This is oh, fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Um, final question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you walk into a room today and say I'm having a bad mental health day? No, I think that's hard. I think it goes back to what I was saying about um, being a producer. People expect expect you to be in a position of uh, control and uh, responsibility, and I think the stigma attached to saying I've got a mental health problem is that that appears that you're not in control and that you almost have a weakness and it's seen as a weakness. Um, and so I'm sure, you know, over over time, there are there probably have been parts of my life where I probably haven't been in a, in a good place in terms of mental health. I've never uh, fortunately felt the need that I've ever had to do anything about it because from a self-perception point of view, it's never felt that it's severe enough to... Uh, need to do that thankfully and as I said I've got a really good network of people around me but I think people should be able to do that and the theatre industry because of the idiosyncrasies of the world and the structure of a process um, is an odd one because it is fast and furious and creative but I think you know we we can only change if we do it together and do things like industry minds and get people talking in a way that feels frank and open and honest. Great, amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank Honestly, you. from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so no, much. No, thank you. And chat. as I said, I think what you're doing is brilliant. So thank keep you. it up. Thank you so much. We, we finished with the game. Oh gosh, the, the pressure. The pressure. Are you so, ready? Yeah. Right. Today, so, I am grateful for life. The last place I went on holiday was New York. My dream show to produce would be Hello Dolly with Jane McDonald. <gasps> Don't steal it. <laughs> I want to do Hello Dolly with Jane McDonald at the Theatre or Drury Lane and then I will retire. Do it. How camp do would it. that be? Love it. Um, if I was shipwrecked, the first thing I would try and save would be... Oh, some chocolate. <laughs> Love it. Um, if I was in charge of this industry, I would... Ooh. Make it more open and transparent for everybody. Amazing. Um, pineapple on a pizza is... Fine. Yeah. Everything on a pizza. You love it. Get I love it all it. on the pizza. Pound pineapple, my top yeah. pizza. Um, mental health is important to me because ultimately, it's what makes the world go round. So we have yeah. to talk about it. And finally, in the future, I want to continue to be content. Oh, love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Industry Minds and we hope you enjoyed this week's episodes. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to listen to our new episodes which are out every Thursday. If you are interested in our counselling service please email maryindustryminds at gmail.com or just get in touch with us. For news on future guests and events, oi oi, please check out our Instagram and Twitter accounts over at Industry Minds UK. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. Have a great week.